So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It's another parable. Jesus is teaching it. He's sharing this story. It's a story that has a purpose and a meaning behind it, and we're going to get right down to it. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace, and he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever's right, I'll give it to you. So they went. And going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. And now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This message tonight all centers around a big idea and something that if you can get a grip on it now, it really will change the, op- change the way you operate in your Christian life from now all the way through. And I want to say right up front, this parable teaches us what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. How it is that we come into the kingdom of God. Who it is that, you know, how the relationship between God and those who come into his kingdom works. And there is a very clear application of this scripture. When we talk about this vineyard and, and the master bringing people into the vineyard about what salvation is all about, that it's the master that invites the workers into the vineyard. It's God that invites us into his kingdom. So there's a clear application for what salvation's all about. And we talked about that last night, that it's God who's watching us, waiting for us. He's looking for us. Even when we're not looking for him, he seeks us out and then calls us in. But really where we're going to look at tonight is for those of us who are in the kingdom of God how this applies to us, because there's something that I heard a lot already today, and it's the common theme of an entire generation and really our whole society. When we were out there playing dodgeball over and over, I watched all y'all playing, and the worst job ever at a camp is to be the person in charge of rec. Can I get an amen from the back? Amen. Brother Pastor Mike said it real loud. You know why? Because you can't win. Because there's one person overseeing scores of people, all who think they know exactly what the rules should be and how it should operate. And you're one person trying to watch 50 people, and the whole time a game like dodgeball is going on, where there's literally five balls whipping at 900 directions and speed, people falling down, soap flying in the eyes, and you're trying to figure out who's in and who's out, and the whole time, you know, Pastor Mike or, or Pastor Chris or whoever's standing there trying to watch, he's got a bunch of yan yan in his ears going, it touched their foot, it touched their foot! They crossed the line, they crossed the line! Oh! And then inevitably, we hear this, that's not fair. Oh, It's 
not fair. Now here's one big lesson that we've got to get a grip on. Life's not fair. Life's not fair. And you learned this from an early age. You know this. From the moment you ever could start eating at the table. Why? Your parents would bring you vegetables. And the portions were always too big, right? And that's not fair. And then after that would come dessert, but the portions of dessert are always too small. And that's not fair. And then they tell you you have to go do your homework and you got to spend an hour doing it. And you're like, an hour? I can't do anything for an hour. And that's not fair. And then after that, you watch TV for four hours and they come in and go, that's enough. We need to turn that off. And you're like, that's not fair. And then one day, some of you are old enough now, you've gone out and gotten a job and you can't believe it because the person who hired you actually expects you to show up every time they put you on the schedule, at the actual time they put on the schedule. And you got to do stuff when you get there. And you're like, well, I just thought I was going to come here and hang out with my friends and you were going to give me money. That's not fair. And then, you know, say you make $10 an hour. Every, every single person, before you got your real actual first paycheck, you're like, cool, I make $10 an hour and I work 10 hours. I'm going to get $100. And then you got your paycheck and you realize you got $13. And you're like, what are all these numbers and who took my money? And it's like, it's the government. It's called taxes. And you're like, that's not fair. So all through life, there's this thing of, well, that's not fair. And this isn't fair. And that's not fair. And listen, what I'm talking about, and, and understand, I understand that there are real injustices that are happening in the world. There are things that are taking place that should not be. People who are being taken advantage of, people who are in desperate situations. But what I'm talking about is a generation of first world problems. People who really don't have, this, what I'm talking about is a general outlook of looking at the world where it's, I don't like where I am and this isn't fair. And that's what this story is really all about. See, this parable, you got in here, you've got the master of this vineyard who's God, and you have these workers who represent, after they've been called in, those of us who are believers. And I want to explain to you what was happening in the story, because some of you are listening to that, and you're like, six hour, third hour, denarius, what? And so here's basically what was going on. There's this guy who had a big vineyard, basically a big farm. And he would go out each day, and he would hire people to work. There would be kind of like a group of people who needed a job, and so they would gather in a certain place in the marketplace, and he would go out, and he would hire people to come in as many as he needed for that day, depending on what time of the harvest it was. And so as he says out, he goes out at the beginning of the day, and that first time he goes out is about 6 a.m. And he says he goes out, and he hires a group of workers, and he says to them, listen, if you'll come in and work a full day, I'll give you a denarius. Now, a denarius is a Bible term of money that basically means an honest day's wage. Like whatever an honest day's wage for an honest day's work was at the time, that's what they agreed to. And it says that they agreed to it. Now, the guy goes out again later. He goes out three hours later at 9 a.m., and he hires some more workers, but he makes a different agreement with them. He says, listen, uh, it's later in the day. You come in and work for me, and I'll be fair to you. I'll pay you what's fair. And they say, okay, and so they go in. He goes out again at noon. He goes out again at 3 p.m., and he goes out again at 5 p.m., one hour before closing time, and says, come in and work, and even if you only work for an hour, I'm going to be fair to you. So at the end of the day, at 6 p.m., 12 hours after all this had started, he gets everybody together and he goes to his manager and says, listen, I want you to line everybody up and I want you to pay them their wages for today. And he said, but I want you to line them up in groups and I want you to start with the people who came in last at 5 o'clock. And then I want you to work your way back down the row 
to the folks who came in at 6. And so he starts and he calls the 5 p.m. crew up. And they all come out and they put out their hand. And to everyone's shock, the manager puts a full denarius in their hand. They only worked one hour and they got a whole day's wage. Now we know because down around verse 10, the group down down here in the 6 a.m. crew, they're not too upset yet because it says they actually think they're like, oh, sweet. We worked, way, we worked 10 hours longer than they worked, and they just got paid what he told us he was going to pay us. We're definitely getting more. Like, we're going to get a huge paycheck today. But then he goes down to 3 p.m. crew, a denarius. The 12 p.m. crew, a denarius. Well, that's weird. The 9 a.m. crew gets a denarius. And then it says that eventually he gets to the very first people who came in. They all put out their hand. And they all get a denarius. And they are furious about it. They are so mad. And it says that they begin to grumble against the master. And they say, listen, we've been out here breaking our back all day in the scorching heat. And you're going to make these people who are in here an hour equal to us and give us the same amount of money? That's not fair. And some of you are like, yo, I like this camp preacher. We've already cruised through the first 12 verses. That's incredible but we're actually going to slow down a little bit right here, okay? Because what happens is in response to that grumbling, the master asks three important questions. He asks them three questions, and these three questions are going to teach us a very important truth, very important truth about who God is, the grace that we've experienced, what it is that we actually deserve, and how it is that we relate to him, okay? So the first question is this. He asks them in verse 13, did we not agree? Now, I'm going to give you, with the question, I'm going to give you a main idea. Okay, three main ideas, three truths. Here's the first one. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. He looks at him and says, listen, before, he's in, hey, friend. He's trying to, like, de-escalate the situation. Easy. Cool it. Did we not agree on a denarius? Now, Everybody can sit here and act all holy. They're like, they should just be happy to get what he gave them. But none of us would feel that way. We all know exactly what, we don't like that kind of discrepancy in our own life. How many of you, for those of you that, this is where the homeschoolers, man, y'all got it made. How many of you who go to public school have ever had to do the, heaven forbid, the group project? Anybody? How many of you hate the group project? All of the same hands. Yes. If you're here and you're a teacher, stop it with the group projects. Okay? Just stop it. Because here's what happens, right? You got four people in a group, and you got, you, you got one person who immediately takes charge, right? They're like, let's do this. I know exactly what we're doing. Right? And they're throwing out responsibilities. And then you got, like, persons B and C. They work pretty hard and get it in, but there's always one, one in every group project, right, you work on that thing for three weeks, you show up, go to the library, go to the person's house, you're missing out on stuff, and then right the day it's due, what happens? Person number four comes running in, oh, oh, did you put my name on it? And you're like, you sorry, I, I don't want to put your name on it. Why? But because you love Jesus, you know, and you got to be, love your neighbor, and you put, and what, you don't want to put their name on it, Why? they didn't do any of the work you were about to say it jake you knew what was up right yes it's not it's not it's not fair that's right he said it have you as you get older you'll have this experience this is the worst man when i was 
college, when I was in seminary and I was single and had no money, it's one of these things where you got to, uh, you know, you get together with your friends and you want to eat, but it's like you only want to spend the money you have to spend. It's like, nah, we ain't spitting. We're not going to split this bill up equal. I will pay for what I eat, right? And so I would get together with my friends. It's like, hey, let's order pizza because pizza's amazing, right? Pizza's the best. Everyone loves pizza. If you don't like pizza, the door, you can just go back to your cabin and take a nap. Um, don't actually leave. It's just a joke. All right. But we get pizza. And so somebody like me will get it because I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people like, like just I'll be in charge of this. And so it's like, all right, well, let's see how hungry we are. And I'm going, I'm like, all right, Jake, how hungry are you? And he's like, yo, I'm super hungry. I haven't eaten all day. I think I can eat four pieces of pizza. I'm like, cool. Jake wants four pieces of pizza. All right. And then I go, Paige, how hungry are you? And she's like, I don't know. I just ate dinner, but like, I feel like I could do two more pieces of pizza. And she's like, give me that. And so she writes, she's nodding. Like I could use two pieces of pizza right now and uh and so i got all right all right Paige has got two and here's what happens you go through the group and there's all, there's always one in every group and uh, i actually mean to stereotype in this scenario right here it's usually a lady all right it's usually a girl and we'll just is there anybody here named sally good we'll just call her sally and you go to sally and it's the same every time sally how much pizza you want she's like mm, i don't know like, I don't even, I'm not even that hungry. Like, I don't even eat food, really. Like, I'm not a food eater. I'm an airitarian. Like, I only breathe air. So, like, uh, well, like, maybe a piece. Maybe a piece. Well, maybe, like, a piece of a piece. Like, I'll probably just eat a pepperoni. So, just, like, put me down for one. And you're like, all right, did everybody hear that? She said one. And so you write down one, and then you take, and then you get out your, your phone and get out the gadget, because none of us can do math anymore, and we divide up on the calculator, right? You're like, all right, this is how much, so it's like, all right, Jake, you owe me this much for your four pieces, Paige, you owe me this much for your two pieces, Sally, you owe me that much for your one piece, right? So we get the pizza, throw it down, everybody starts eating, and then you realize within a few minutes that Sally has mowed through five pieces of pizza, and this maniac isn't even eating her crust. And you're like, Sally, you just can't eat the pizza. And We're all poor. You have to eat the crust, too. What are you doing? That's not your pizza. Right? And some of you are like, yeah, yeah, that's not fair. And listen, that's how these people were feeling. Like, that's not, I worked so hard. I broke my back all day. I, I deserve more than this. But here's the problem. They started blaming the master and treating him as something that he wasn't. They were acting as if he was unfair. They were treating him as if he had broken his word. And the truth is he had been absolutely true to his word. He did not break his promise. He told them right up front, I will give you an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. They worked an honest day and he gave them their wage. He says, we agreed on this. And what I found is in the areas of our life, when we turn our aggression towards God and start saying, God, this isn't fair. This situation that I'm in, what's happening right now, this isn't fair. What I found is in every area that we tell God that he's not being fair, it is always in an area where God has never made us a promise. Because what usually happens, somebody we love gets sick. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a friend at school. And it's always, and listen, I get this, it's always like the best person you know that's dealing with this terrible sickness. 
and you watch them suffer and you watch them hurt and inside you're going, God, that's not fair. They shouldn't have to be dealing with this. But the problem is, if you read this book front to back, you won't ever find one place where God promises us that we won't get sick. Now, he promises us that he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He promises that he's preparing an eternity for us and that he can heal the one biggest sickness that we have, and that's our sin problem. But he never promised that we weren't going to get sick. Suddenly we face a situation with our family. Some of you have been in this spot where all of a sudden your mom and your dad bring you into the room. They sit you down and say, mom and dad can't get along anymore. And we're going to be splitting up and living in different places. And now we've got to figure out where you're going to be. And all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're having to make decisions that a 13-year-old shouldn't have to make. And you're saying, you know what, this isn't fair. But the thing is, is that God never promised us that we weren't going to face difficult situations with our family. Now, he did promise us that he would be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That he would be with us always. That he would draw near to us. That even in our most difficult situations, when we don't even know what to pray, he'll pray for us. But he never promised us that it was going to be easy. He never promised us that we weren't going to suffer. He actually did quite the opposite. You go to 1 Peter 4.12, and Peter says, Brothers, don't be surprised when you face many sufferings. And so what we have to do, the moment we think that God's being unfair, that's the moment we need to step back and go, wait, wait, wait. Is God being unfair, or is this just a situation where I've never been given a promise? Because in every place that he's given me a promise, God has never broken his word. See, praise God, he's faithful to keep his word. 1 John 1, 9, that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. That if we'll call on the name of the Lord, that we'll be saved. That if we'll repent and turn, that we'll be born again. See, he promised us in these big, important areas, he made promises. And listen, God, in every way, in every season, in every moment, I'm telling you, God has been true to his word to you. God has never broken a promise to you. And that's what the first question teaches us. He says, didn't we agree? Yeah, and he's been true to his word. The second question, he says, listen, take what's yours. And he follows it up with this question in verse 15. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Here's what that question teaches us. God's in charge. God's in charge. Now, these workers... They had 12 whole hours of vineyard experience. 12 hours. And now they're telling the master of the vineyard, who planted it, started it, owned it, has been running it, now they're telling him, this isn't how you should be running this. This isn't how this should be. I've been here for half a whole day. And I know exactly what should be happening. And what's incredible is it takes this long for the relationship between us and God to flip. See, last night, we're the younger brother in the pit, right? We've woken up, come to our senses. Man, we come in repentance and humility to God. And what did he say? The younger son say to the dad, last night, he goes, listen, I, I messed up. I sinned against you. I'm not even worthy to be called your servant. And yet God is gracious, brings us in. And then all of a sudden, suddenly, after like a whole day, things don't go exactly as we want them. And we're looking at God and suddenly, even though it's, so who's the servant and who's the master in this relationship? Because we spend a lot of our time telling God what he should be doing. 
We don't spend a lot of time asking God what he wants us to do, but we spend a lot of time when we do pray, coming to him and putting stuff in front of him and go, God, this is what I want, this is what I want, make it happen. This is, this is what I desire, give it to me. This is where I want to go, approve this, make this happen. And God's going like, yo, wait a minute. <laughs> this, is my, this is my vineyard. It can even work on this level. With the youth group, I see this happen all the time. See, they, they were going to decide, well, no, 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 no. We've been here since 6 o'clock, so the 9 a.m. should get this, and the 12 p.m. should get this, and the 3 p.m. should get this, and the 5 p.m. should get this. And what they had forgotten is like, yo, this is not your vineyard. It's the master's vineyard. You understand that this youth group, it's not your youth group. It's his youth group. And what I find that's so dangerous so often is that in a youth group, the 6 a.m. crew doesn't have a lot of time for the 5 p.m. crew. The ones that have been here the longest, because you say so like, like welcome to my church. <laughs> this, is, this is my church. This is my youth group. We're glad that you're here. Don't get too comfortable. Uh, we'll teach you the secret handshake. And if you prove yourself worthy, we will bring you into the inner circle. And that's why over and over I'll come to a camp like this. And for the first couple days, you know, it's like, they're, it's like they're standing on the outside of a circle like, hey, guys, guys, can I get in there? I'm the new kid, please. please. Anyone? Wait your turn, new guy, right? And then heaven forbid, it's like, Brother Dan, they've only been coming here for like six weeks. Why do they get to be in the praise team? I've been, I've been asking for seven years to get on the praise team, and I haven't been able to sing one night. Here, let me, I'll do this for Dan. You want to know why you haven't got to sing on the praise team yet? It doesn't have anything to do with how long you've been here. We've heard you sing. And we're doing you a favor. And we're doing everyone else a favor. You're gifted in other areas, and we're going to find your area of strength. All right? But this is not your position to choose. Right? But listen, but even if you're the best singer in the room... It's not your praise band. It's not your youth group. It's not your church. The same humility that brought us into the kingdom is the same humility that should sustain us in the kingdom because he's in charge. And so our cry should not be, God, give me what I want. It's God, put me where you want me. Use me how you need me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me. You want me to go. When, when the new one comes in, I'm going to bring them in like they've been here the whole time, even though they've only been here for an hour. I'm not going to look on them with disdain like they've got some spot to earn, but I'm going to remember what it was like to be the new kid and what I wanted to be treated like, and I'm going to open up my arms and bring them in the way that I wish someone had done for me or the way that someone actually did for most of you. Turning and passing that same thing on. But we've got to get a grip on the fact that we're the servant, he's the master, we are in his vineyard, he's the one calling the shots, and he gets to distribute the opportunities, he gets to distribute the ministries, he gets to distribute all of it as he sees fit. God's in charge. Listen, God is in debt to no one. God doesn't owe anybody anything. But, thankfully, the third question teaches us something about God. He says, listen, can't I do what I want with what's mine? Here's the third question. Or do you begrudge my generosity? In very simple terms, it means this. Are you mad that I'm being so good to them? 
Because here's the truth that that question teaches us. God is generous. God is generous. Those people 12 hours before were standing outside of the vineyard and they had no job. He went out looking for them and gave them an opportunity, gave them exactly what he promised them. And then 12 hours later, they're mad because they got what it is that they wanted. And this is what we need to ask ourselves in terms of our relationship to God and the grace that he's shown us. Because grace, understand, see, mercy, mercy, that's us not getting what we deserve. But grace is us getting something that we never deserved. And that God would bring us into his kingdom even though we were enemies, that is a mind-blowing, inordinate amount of grace that we can't begin to comprehend. But here's what happens quickly. This is what happens. We're good with what we got until we perceive that somebody else has something better. This is how we're wired. Like some of you, like your parents have given you a phone, man, and, and you're like, oh, I got, my, I got my first phone. It's great. Oh, look at it. And you change the screensaver and you, you set your ringtone and da, da, da. And you love your phone and you do it like everybody. And it's like you drop it the first time and you're like, oh, no, my phone. Ah! And then you go get it. And you let, that phone is amazing for four days until your best friend gets a better phone. And you go home and you're like, Mom, how do you expect me to survive with this trash flip phone? I bet if, it, if I, tried to dial, I tried to dial 911, it didn't even work, right? You're like, how am I supposed to live with this like an animal? Like some of you started driving and your parents like, gave you a car, gave it to you. And you're like, oh, and you don't even care. You're just like, this may as well be a Lamborghini because it's mine, right? And you drove it for three whole days, right? Until your friend got a car that like was one whole year newer. And you're like, dad, why do you hate me so much? You got me driving around in this thing like some kind of loser. I can't even plug in my iPod. It takes silver discs. I don't even know what they are. I'm listening to the radio like some sort of animal. How could you do this to me? And it's like, oh, the thing that we were so excited about, all of a sudden it's like, well, what that, what they get? What's that? Huh? Listen, and, and, adult, this, and this is why the internet is the worst. Social media is terrible. It's terrible. It's poison. And adults, know, man, adults, like none of you are on Facebook. It's cool, but adults are on Facebook. And uh, that's why you all left Facebook, because all the adults came to Facebook and we ruined it for you. And, uh, but adults, like, here's, here's just a little tidbit for the adults. Like, you've all been in this situation, right? You all got that friend on Facebook, and they post stuff like this. Like, oh, like, like they'll post a picture of their kid, like, reading books. And they're like, I can't stop, can't get them, can't get them to stop reading. What am I going to do? And the rest of the moms and dads are like, uh, I don't know. We don't have that problem at my house. <laughs> like, uh, like, oh, like, is there anything better than the sound of kids singing praise songs in the morning? Like, beats me, bud. I don't know. I drag grizzly bears out of the bed every morning and throw them out of the bus stop. <laughs> but the rest of you, like, you're on Snapchat, you're on Instagram. And listen, none of it's real. None of it's real. I know because I've seen. I, I saw something at church. The, the most hilarious thing in my life right now is my Instagram feed. And it's because of the kids in my youth group. It, they don't mean for it to be funny, but it's like the best unintentional comedy. It's hilarious. It's the best thing ever. And, and I saw something the other day from a distance, and I didn't exactly know what was happening until a few hours later, and then my mind was like, <sighs> right? Because I saw 
there was these three kids in our youth group, and it was these two that are dating, and then they're, they're, they're third wheel. And listen, if you're, the, if you're the third wheel, go get other friends. Don't let people treat you like that, all right? Because here's what you become. You become the picture taker, all right? Oh, snap. Some of you are like, oh, no, it's me. Right? <laughs> oh, no. And here's what I saw. I saw this, like, exchange. And they're standing in front of this, this like, blank wall, right, at our church. And then they're, like, they're doing all this stuff. And then it's, no, no, no. Huh? And then they're back. And then they're, no, 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 no. Huh? And then and it was the same thing where the guy was, like, like looking like a doofus. And he was, like, he was like and I saw him kept, like, like, let me get my gene rips in exactly the right place, bro. Hold on. And the girl kept doing this. She was like, <laughs> like she was laughing at nothing. And she's <laughs> and then she'd look at it and go, no, no, uh, uh, can't you, you, you didn't get his shoes in it. Do it again, do it again. And then, and then. And, and then and then they posted it later, posted it on Instagram. Like, <laughs> love these random moments with you. I was like, that is garbage. I watched this for 15 minutes happen. And I posted on it. I was like, nah, dog, that took 15 minutes. And then just flame emojis. Just flame, 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 flame. All right, listen, listen. Nobody, girls, look at me. Girls, girls. No girls, like, real life people aren't just laughing in front of brick walls, looking at nothing. <laughs> it's not real life. Guys, like, like, you standing, looking in the distance with your new, like. <laughs> no, do you see any responsible adults doing this? <laughs> this is not real life. But here's what's happening. This is what breaks my heart. This is what breaks my heart for you. You're scrolling through your phone and you're going, oh, I wish I, I, wish I had that. And, and, and I'm not being funny here. You're going, man, she, she's so pretty and I wish I could look like that. And I wish I had a boyfriend like that. And, and man, if I could just have clothes like that, then people would think I was this. And if I could just, and if I could just, and if I had that many followers, if I could get that many likes or if. If I could just look that way or dress that way. And none of it's real. None of it's real. See, what happens is we put it as if the problem's out there. And it totally misses the fact that the problem's in here. And we've gotten so locked in on this one minute thing that we don't have that we've lost sight of everything that we've been given. Because God is generous. God is gracious. He's given us more than we ever deserve. And that's what verse 16 is all about. And this is the conclusion here. See, verse 16 is not some sort of spiritual math problem you have to solve. Like the first will be last and the last will be first. Well, I definitely want to be first, so I need to get myself in last. But if I put myself in last and I don't really mean to be in last, then I'm not going to end up in first because they're going to know that I want to be in first. That's not what it's about. This is the simple truth of it. This is what that verse means. The people who are in last are in last because they think they deserve to be in first. And the people who are in first are in first because they know they deserve to be last. See, everybody's saying the same thing. They're just saying it in one of two ways. 
Everybody's saying, I don't deserve this. But here's the difference. See, it's kind of like a pair of glasses. Like, I, I wear these glasses to see and uh, because I would run into things when I drive if I didn't. But So I, these, these glasses change the way I see the world. But what's going on tonight is, is everybody sort of has on this imaginary pair of glasses. And for some of you, the lenses, they're made of fairness. You want things to be fair. And because you want things to be fair, all you ever see is what you don't have. All you ever see is what's missing. All you ever see is what you think you deserve. And so you spend all of your time looking around going, that's not fair, that's not fair. And then you say it like this. You say, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. But let me tell you this right up front and hear me. You should not be interested in fair. See, we don't really want God to be fair. And see, we always ask like, why does bad stuff happen to good people? Here's the truth of it. Bad stuff doesn't happen to good people because there's no good people. Romans 3.10 says that there's nobody who's righteous. No, not one. We're all bad people. That anything good happens to anybody is only by God's grace. And the Bible also says that we've all fallen short of God's glory and that the wages of our sins should be death. See, if you're interested in fair, what fair is is for us to spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell. That's what would be fair. But thankfully, we don't have to be interested in fear because God has offered us grace. And what happens is when you flip out those lenses and you take the fairness lenses out and you put the grace lenses in, you start looking around and you go, God, you love me? God, you, you care about me? After what I've said and what I've done and the way I've acted and the way I've treated you? The, the way that I've lived and the mistakes that I've made, you love me? You would send your son to die for me? He would suffer that kind of brutality for me. You're going to make this exchange where I give you all of my garbage and you give me your righteousness? Are you serious? And you're going to like give me a purpose and a plan in this life? In the meantime, you're in heaven preparing a place for me so I can spend forever with you there? You're serious. And then suddenly, through the eyes of grace, you're saying the exact same thing, but you're saying it like this. I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this. God, how could you be so gracious? Because here's the three truths. Because, God, you always keep your promises. And, God, you've always been in control. And, God, you've been so gracious to me. How could I be anything but grateful? How could I do anything but serve you? How could I give you anything less than my best? How could I in any moment look to you and go, this isn't fair, and not be looking and going, thank you, God, that you are not fair, that you are gracious, and that you are good. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing I asked you to do last night. Sit up straight and close your eyes. Here's the challenge for tonight, real simple. Dan's going to be coming up here. The band's coming. A couple of things that, that really need to happen in some of your life. Some of you last night, you know that you need Jesus. You know you don't have a relationship with God because you've never repented and believed. And, you, man, you've, it's been bugging you all day since last night. It's been chewing you up. And so you need, you really need to get this thing right tonight. And so in a minute, you need to come grab Dan by the hand and say, listen, 
Um, I'm not saved. I need to know what this means to give my life to Christ. I am outside the vineyard looking in like, I, I need grace. I need love. I need grace. I need Jesus. And so in just a moment, you can get up and you can come. Now, I believe for the rest of us, in at least one of these three areas, if not two, if not all three, maybe you've been blaming God for something. And maybe for the first time you've realized tonight that God's not being fair. It's just a place he's never made a promise, but he has made promises that will see you through the difficult situation. And tonight you need to repent and say, God, I've called you things that are untrue. And tonight I'm going to spend some time calling you things that are true. You're good and you're faithful and you keep your promises and you love me and you're gracious. Maybe some of you tonight need to come and say, God, you know what? I need to stop telling you how to run your stuff. And I need to remember who brought me into this thing and I need to start acting the way that I wish that I had been treated when I was the new kid. God, I need to start, stop looking at all the stuff I don't have and stop looking, start looking at the opportunities that I do have. And thirdly, some of you just need to spend some time tonight saying thank you. Because God's been really gracious to you. You're here this week, the opportunities you've been given you got breath in your lungs, another day to live. You've got family in your life. You've got friends around you, a church that loves you, a God that has never left you, a Savior who, who gave his life for you. You've got a lot to be thankful for. If you've got some stuff going on in your life, you're like, man, I'm just a big mess of stuff, and I don't even know where to start. Come, we'll, we'll put you with an adult, and we'll start untangling that nest. But whatever it is that God's telling you you need to do, we're going to do it right now. Some of you can sit and pray where you are. You may want to kind of kneel at one of the outer edges of the room. Maybe you want to kneel right at your chair right there. But whatever it is, just be obedient to God. Father, I pray that in these moments that you would deal with us, deal with our hearts, deal with us, God, where we've fallen short. And we ask it in Christ's name. So let's do this. Let's, if you just, where you're at, if you need to sit and pray, sit and pray. If you want to sing, stand and sing. If you need to come, get up and come. But now's the moment. We're not going to drag it out. But whatever God's telling you to do, now's the time. So let's go.